You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Warwick Life on Warwick Radio. My name is Scott Nerney. I grew up in Warwick and have been a homeowner for over 30 years in our lovely city. My goal with this podcast is to highlight what is special about Warwick and how you can get the most from our seaside community. This podcast is being presented by the Warwick Center for the Arts, located next to Warwick City Hall, where amazing artists showcase their artwork year-round in their beautiful gallery, in addition to many exciting classes for children and adults. Before I introduce our guests, I wanted to mention, if you have an idea for a guest on Warwick Life, drop us a line at warwicklife at gmail.com. Our guests today are Ann Holst, President and Curator, and Paul Miller, Director of the Clouds Hill Museum in Warwick. I've recently been invited to take a tour of their museum and property, and was amazed at the efforts taken to keep the property period accurate to the 1800s, and the history that the family brought to Warwick and much of Rhode Island over the years. I thought it'd be beneficial for our audience to learn about the organization, how they make Warwick so special, and what they have to offer our community. Welcome to the show, Ann and Paul. Thank you for inviting us to come today. And thank you so much for supporting our podcast and sharing the knowledge that you have in your family history. Can you tell me, the audience, where you're located? We're located halfway between Apnog and East Greenwich on Route 1. Uh, We're about a quarter of a mile south of the light that takes you down to Cellos on the waterfront on the west side of Post Road up on top of the hill. We're kind of a hidden gem because you can't see the house from the road. And is there a website? I know a lot of folks who are listening to the podcast right now will probably be on their either phones or computers, and they could follow along with the website? Yes, you can go on Clouds Hill, C-L-O-U-D-S-H-I-L-L dot org. Great. And can you give us a description of the organization and what you're responsible for? Well, I'm the president of the board, and I'm also the curator of the museum, although I really feel that I need to relinquish that to our brand-new director, uh, Paul Miller because Paul's knowledge of everything in the house exceeds mine, even though I lived there for 79 years. (laughs) Hardly, Anne. Thanks. (laughs) And one of the things that I wanted to say, as people will hopefully go for a tour and contact you, and we're going to talk about some upcoming tour dates as well, it really is a true step back in time. It's true original furnishings and designs untouched from the 1800s, but not in a dusty, old collection-type style. It really is walking into that time period, and I commend you both for what you've been able to maintain and put together in the home. It's really beautiful. Well, thank you. We uh, try to make the tour more like you're visiting the family rather than visiting the museum. Um, All of the rooms are used. We decorate for Christmas. We have people that stay occasionally. Um, for special activities, and the whole house is lived in so that you really do get the feeling that you're coming to visit the family in the 1870s. And you mentioned that. How long has the house been in the family? Well, I'm the fourth generation to own it. Uh, The house was built in 1872. It was started in 1872 and finished in 1877, and it was a wedding present for my great-grandmother. It's never been owned by a man. It's been passed down through four generations of the oldest female, to me, as the only female in my generation. (laughs) 
I understand that, that there, there is a lot of history, and I believe there's what some of the folks may not realize, but it will definitely ring a bell if I say the Slater family is also linked into the property. Can you kind of explain how that relationship is? Yes. Uh, William Smith Slater was the father of the young lady who received it from him as a wedding present. Uh, William Smith Slater was the son of John and Ruth Slater and the nephew of Samuel Slater of the Slater Mill in Pawtucket. William Smith Slater stayed in Rhode Island and managed the Rhode Island mills, was involved in politics slightly, was a great philanthropist. And when his daughter, Elizabeth Ives Slater, became engaged to a young man named Alfred Augustus Reed, uh, he felt that while Mr. Reed was a pretty, pretty nice guy, unfortunately, nice guys don't necessarily do well in business. So he bought the land from Reed and gave it with the house to Elizabeth as a wedding present to make sure that she had a roof over her head if anything went wrong in the family business. And I know when we talked about, like, you gave directions on whereabouts it is and you would drive your vehicle there, or obviously our audience was, but Paul, how did people get there in the past? Obviously, there wasn't a main road and vehicles back in the 1800s. Well, it's quite interesting because uh, the general public may not be aware, but there were a number of sort of whistle-stop train stations along the line heading south, and the present Amtrak line. So you can imagine stopping in Appenog and then just a few um, quarter mile to the south, there was a stop for Coesed and then for East Greenwich. So it was very convenient for weekenders who had country homes lining Coesed Avenue. And today, basically all that survives other than Clouds Hill uh, would be the gateposts of these grand estates. So take a drive down uh, Post Road and you'll see uh, the remnants and curiosity will no doubt be piqued as to what sat there originally. And it was ideally situated from the heights overlooking Greenwich Bay uh, and ideally situated being a short commuting distance from the city itself. Was the family in the residence full year? Actually, no. These were all country estates, and so generally the season would run from June through, or perhaps late May through early November. So it was closely tied into a prolonged summer season, but a very leisurely, obviously, uh, summer season. The gentlemen would take the train back into the city for business, but the children and the ladies would, would stay pretty much at Clouds Hill for the duration. And today we just throw a couple things in a bag for a summer house <laughs> down on out on the water. It, it obviously wasn't that way in the past. What type of uh, entourage would they have with them, for lack of a better term? Well, I think for the house proper, you could count on at least five to six who were resident and show up in the uh, official census reports uh, for the uh, 1870s and 80s when the house was first uh, uh, evolving and then staffing was, was first uh, defining itself. So within the house proper, you would have a resident cook, a waitress, a butler, an upstairs parlor maid, a governess, uh, and in addition, given the proximity of East Greenwich, there was a tendency to hire seasonal help. And there was a preference, that's quite interesting, for Swedish, young Swedish ladies from the Swedes Hill section of East Greenwich, and they'd be brought in for additional staffing needs. Of course, there were caterers as well who'd be brought in for large dinners. Uh, there were frequent yachting parties, more on that perhaps later. Uh, but also, this 
is really what I've mentioned, the House staff. You must also remember that there would have been a further half dozen on the grounds in terms of gardeners. Um, and obviously, since it in, the estate was uh, in its heyday, 500 acres, it also included a, 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 an operating farm. So another uh, six to dozen uh, seasonal laborers for the farming operation, of whom many would be kept on year-round. So it was quite an extensive labor pool. So, yeah, even just as a, as a property itself, it was a big employer in the city at the time. Correct, not including the mill staffing roles. Uh, so, Anne, you never really had a, a lonely childhood then? Well, I, I don't remember anything except we had a cook and a waitress until I was about 10. And I will never forget them because the first time that my father insisted on us having hot dogs for lunch... It was the summertime, it was about 95 degrees, my Chesapeake Bay Retriever, who was six months old when I was six months old, so we grew up together. Uh, he's lying in the window, it's hot, he's panting, and my father rang the bell for the waitress and said when she came in, B, would you please get the hot dog relish? And she looked over at the dog and she said, oh, dear, the poor thing is hot, isn't he? <laughs> Wow. I mean, those are the memories that you can still really almost experience when you go through the, the estate. And, and again, I highly encourage people to listen towards the end. We're going to talk about some open dates for, for coming through. And you know, when you contact Clouds Hill, they're more than happy to have you come out and, and tour the property in addition to the open dates that are upcoming by appointment. One of the things that I found interesting was the architect that built the property has a connection to our own city hall. That's right. In 18, I think it's 1892, um, William R. Walker, who designed Clouds Hill, also designed Warwick City Hall. And in fact, it's very interesting because if you come to visit us, you will notice in one of the bedrooms, the ceiling medallion around the chandelier is identical to the ceiling medallions around the light fixtures in the council chambers at City Hall. Wow. And, Paul, maybe you could kind of go into a little in-depth as to what's actually on the property. There's, or, and if you want to talk to the house, and Paul to the other items. Well, Paul's going to talk about the house, and I'm going to talk about the outside okay. buildings. great. Because those are my specialties. Uh, we have outside in the old stable... Uh, it's a brick building uh, built in 1908 to uh, replace the original stable, which was wooden and had the same architecture as the house. And unfortunately, on a very windy day, my grandmother told the gardener to burn a brush pile, and he said, we really shouldn't, and she said, yes, you will. So he did, and the barn burned down, the stable burned down. So they built a new one, and in that building, we have our carriage museum, which includes a couple of very interesting wagons. One of them belongs to the people of the state of Rhode Island. It's the Rhode Island Bicentennial Covered Wagon. In 1976, uh, the state of Pennsylvania, as a bicentennial project, had made 50 Conestoga wagons, either the Conestoga wagon or the Prairie Schooner, which was more of a um, freight wagon shape than the Conestoga wagon. They're identical replicas, the same size as the wagons that the pioneers travel west in. And Pennsylvania gave a wagon and a trailer to, to transport it 
to every state in the Union, and they reenacted the wagon train routes west, coming in reverse back to Valley Forge and all merging at Valley Forge on the 4th of July in 1976. So we're very fortunate to be storing the Conestoga wagon that was donated to the state of Rhode Island by the state of Pennsylvania. The other interesting wagon is also a living wagon, and that is a gypsy wagon built in the late 1800s for King Thomas Stanley, the head of the reigning gypsy tribe in New England. It includes a bed, a table that drops down from the wall, and also a stove, and is the forerunner of today's RVs. And there's a Center for Outdoors as well? Yes, we also have the Center for the Outdoors, which is actually in the original building built before the house was built in order to do all the woodworking for the house on site. Uh, we've converted it into what we call the Center for the Outdoors, um, we have a collection of taxidermy mounts. We have shells. We have minerals and rocks. Uh, we do bar tree bark identification, and we also have a large number of trees on the property that we have uh, signed so that you can identify them if you walk about. And we have a pamphlet that shows you where all of those trees are located. Uh, the building, it's a one-room building, but it's quite large. And we do use it for meetings. If, if any groups that are interested in looking for a small meeting place, um, we're very happy to have them use the Center for the Outdoors if they just contact us. So folks listening, if you have an event that you'd like to have there for a meeting place, contact at Clouds Hill. Uh, they'd love to talk to you about that. And Paul, we've kind of gone over a little bit of the, at the really high level of the house and now, I plan to have you guys back to talk a little more detail, but can you kind of give us a little overview of, of your impression of coming in as a first-time visitor, what we would see? Well, I think you'll be quite impressed and surprised because the, the house itself, when you first approach it, will remind you of some of the great houses of Newport. It's contemporary to Chateau-Sumer on Bellevue Avenue, and actually the same team of artisans who worked on that project were working as well right here in Warwick. So in style, the house is a three-and-a-half-story granite Gothic Revival, late Gothic Revival uh, summer residence, basically. It functioned as a summer residence by, used by the family all the way through 1947. Uh, the interiors are relatively avant-garde for the day in that of the five primary bedrooms all had an ensuite or accompanying bath. Uh, the house also preserves its original uh, alarm system. The windows were wired for security. Uh, the original uh, call buttons, the original uh, speaking tubes, which are quite a curiosity, uh, they would register in uh, a butler's pantry. And it has the original naphtha-powered uh, light generation gas system in the basement, which is a Springfield gas machine, relatively unique. Uh, the interiors were designed by a very prominent Boston uh, interior decorator uh, slash furniture manufacturer named uh, Doan Honeywell. Uh, the firm was active all the way through the close of the 19th century. And one of the curiosities is that all of the bills survive, preserved by the ladies of Clouds Hill uh, through the generations. That's uh, that's really just scratching the surface. There's there's so much more as as. 
we walked through, uh, it really was more than you could read in a history book. It's just, it really is touch and feel uh, to see everything that's right there. And we would talk about the uh, admission. How would someone come to see Clouds Hill and what was the expected admission fees? Well, because we still live in the house, uh, we do our uh, tours pretty much by appointment because we can accommodate you at a time that's convenient for you since we're sort of a captive audience. We're there all the time. <laughs> and we found that that's much more effective than trying to be open maybe one or two days a week on a regular basis because if people can't come during those times, they're out of luck. So this way, if you just call and give us, say, 24 hours notice, we can set up a tour at a time that will be convenient for you. We also do certain exhibits every year, including our Christmas exhibit, which will be coming up. And during those times, the house is open on given days for a given number of hours, and you don't need a reservation. You can just show up. If you go on our website, all of our special exhibits that operate that way will be listed. So I did see Saturdays and Sundays, December 4th, 5th, 11th, 12th, 18th, are going to be decorated for the holidays with yes. open houses? We do. We decorate 12 rooms, um, both two floors. Uh, the decorations change every year, so you don't see the same decorations in the same place two years in a row. And you come anytime between 1 and 4 and walk through the house at your own pace and enjoy the decorations. There are docents around who can answer questions, but we don't try to give a detailed tour at that point. Uh, I know a lot of our folks will be looking forward to that. So folks, uh, if you go to Clouds Hills website, there'll be a lot of information there about the grounds and about the home. And I do hope everyone goes out and takes a look at it. And we're going to we're going to definitely, I would love to have you both back to talk about the history of the property, some more highlights of the home interior, and your goals going forward for restoration that's going to be supported by grants and donations and visitors by the community if you'd like to come back. We'd love to come back. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you to Ann and Paul for spending some time with our audience today and sharing insights on Warwick life. It's a great time to be in Warwick for those not living the Warwick life. Come pay us a visit. Come pay us a visit at Clouds Hill and see what we all have to offer. That wraps up another edition of Warwick Life on Warwick Radio. If you have any comments, content suggestions, or questions, drop us a line at warwicklife at gmail.com. Thank you to Tester Manuelian for our lead-in and closing music. She's a music major with an incredible career ahead of her. Lastly, don't forget to check out Warwick Center for the Arts at warwickcfa.org. See you next time. You're listening to Warwick Radio Online, the voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.